0: Good morning and welcome to another episode of the CEO story. And boy, do we have a cracker for you guys today. We've got uh, Matt Gillis, who is the CEO of Clean.io. Matt has got a, an amazing track record. and Listen to this. He's got over 20 years of mobile media technology experience, over $1 billion, with a B, dollars in annual revenue, He's been through some mergers and some acquisitions and some sales. He's been around the block several times and lived to tell the story. So, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you doing?
1: Awesome. Bought the T-shirt, uh, been there, done it, made thousands of mistakes, and uh, I'm still standing.
0: And that's that's the beauty about the, uh, about the podcast. You get to share those ups and downs with the listeners, and hopefully we can add some value and take it away from there. So can we just start by sharing a little bit about – What is Clean.io and what you guys do kind of in the cybersecurity space? You can obviously talk to it in more detail.
1: Yeah. Hey, Casey. So thanks for having me. Uh, Yes. My name is Matt Gillis. I'm the CEO of Clean.io. We're a digital engagement security platform. Uh, That means we protect revenue and user experiences across A variety of properties on the internet whether it's uh, websites that monetize with advertisements or e-commerce websites that are selling goods and services. Um, I've been in the ecosystem uh, the digital ecosystem for a long time almost since the dawn of the digital ecosystem Uh, and so I've had some great experiences all along the way whether it's with startups or big companies Um, but uh, excited to tell you my story and excited to tell you the story of what we're doing at clean.io because we're doing a lot of great things to make users' experiences way better than they should be uh, in that free and open internet.
0: Fantastic. So let's jump into it then. Initially, you didn't just become a CEO overnight. You had a lot of amazing experience starting back in the wireless days. So if you want to kind of run us through at a high level and we can kind of dip in and out some of the, uh, the good things and the bad things along the way.
1: Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Um, All along the way, I've I've always had, uh, you know, amazing opportunities, amazing jobs, amazing mentors. Uh, And, you know, that started for me when I graduated university. All through university, I was a summer student at the mobile phone company up in Canada. And so my job in the early '90s, was standing on a golf course and letting uh, men and women who were on the golf course make free cell phone calls. Believe it or not, that was a thing at one point in
0: time. Wow! And uh, believe it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so it was all about like you know I stood there. Hey, you want to? And they were like, oh yeah, let me call the office. And they you know they. Call back. Guess what? I'm standing on a golf course making phone calls, and uh, so that, that was, was a, a thing.
0: Big deal. That was a yeah. big deal back
1: then, right? Yeah. But so then, then like my my career evolved at these wireless operators. Uh, I worked at two of them. So I worked at Bell Mobility in Toronto, and I worked at Verizon Wireless here in the U.S. And uh, you know, kind of in the, I would say like the last uh, half of my tenure at the operators, I was working on all of the services other than making phone calls that you use your phone for today. So. Uh, think of in the early, like, you know, in like late, late 99, 2000, I was working on things like the wireless internet on your phone and, uh, you know, your ability to actually access websites on your phone through a mobile browser. And that subsequently evolved into like things like downloading ringtones and downloading games and um, watching video on demand on like the first evolution of networks uh, that were capable of handling that bandwidth. So um, I would say that, you know, I kind of got my undergrad degree at the mobile operators, um, you know, kind of learned about business, learned about collaboration, learned about, uh, you know, how to launch things, uh, and how to do deals, build relationships. Um, so and then, uh, then awesome
0: I became an entrepreneur. Second there, Matt. You, you mentioned something about mentorship at an early age. Did you have a mentor at that stage when you were early in the game in the technology
1: side? Oh, I had countless mentors. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the one that, that that gave me my first start was um, a guy named Bob Lavelle uh, who passed on about 10 years ago now, but Bob, you know, like, listen, I was like a hungry university student who just wanted a chance and, uh, and my dad knew him. And so he hired me as a summer student and um, you know, all along the way um, you know, he kept giving me new opportunities and new opportunities that I probably wasn't ready for. Um, But you know, yeah, like, kind of like kept setting me up to learn and grow and manage people and hire people and fire people and, you know all of those things that, um, you know that, that that I think very few people really understand. Like how important that is to have that that mentor that kind of teaches you and trains you and lets you fail and make mistakes, and then also like you know just kind of hangs you out on that tightrope without that safety net underneath you. And so, I think Bob,
0: that's a, a really Bob, good point, right? Is that you know a lot of entrepreneurs feel alone, feel like, hey, I'm a one man band, especially at the beginning before they have a full team, but even as they then direct the ship, but learning those skills on people management and kind of creating a culture and what's meeting the requirements versus isn't, and then having to have some tough conversations because we're all human beings. We like to, be, like to get on with everyone. It's the ugly side of business, but it's definitely important. And having that exposure at a young age, how, how did that kind of help mold you into the leader that you are today?
1: Um, I mean, I think it's, it's everything, right? I mean, and everything is a building block on, you know, like, you know, like you said, you don't just wake up and go, Hey, I'm going to be a CEO today. Right. Like, I mean, I think everything, every challenge, every, you know, success, everything that I've done along the way has prepared me um, enough. Right. Cause you're never over prepared, right. There's always going to be, I mean, COVID who knew COVID was going to happen. And by the way, we were fundraising uh, in the midst of COVID at, at this company. Um, no one can prepare you for that. Um, but I think, what you can do is be prepared for like how to deal with adversity and how to, you know, remain calm and how to uh, make sure that, you know, people around you stay focused and all of those sort of things. So, you know, I think really what, what, where it really helped me in the early days was just like understanding people skills, uh, you know like hiring the right people, um, you know just uh, building that culture around you with your team and that you really like, where do you want to wake up and love going to work every day? Like, cause obviously like you're going to spend more time with these people than you are with your family. Um, so, you know, how do you kind of build and foster that team and that organization and uh, make, make it not feel like work. And I've been fortunate all throughout my career. It's never really felt like work when I get up every day.
0: That's really, really important is that you get to, as the leader of the organization, design what that look and feel is going to be like, mm-hmm. because you're right. You spend more time there with the people around you in the work environment um, than you do with your family, unfortunately. And that's just the way it is with a lot of startups, especially at the early stages where you work in a lot of hours to kind of get there, right?
1: Yeah, to be fair, I think culture is going to be what it's going to be. You you don't design culture, but you set the framework to enable it. And I think that's, uh, and I think we've done a great job of that here. Um, and that's not, a, that's not me tooting my horn. That's, me tooting the horn of all of the leaders here who are leading people to create, you know, the company and the culture that we're also proud of.
0: Yeah, that's really important. And I think you, you phrase it really well. It's that it's the leaders that you empower to create that culture because it's more than any one person. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's Absolutely. super important. So, okay. So then let's move on from the kind of the Verizon wireless days mm-hmm. uh, you were in well, cosmetic, uh, uh, the boutique mobile game company, if I remember correctly, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, so I would say in that first tour of duty, my career at mobile operators kind of at the end of that, there was a bit of a gold rush happening, right? And so the app economy was just starting and this is pre iPhone. um, But we were working on things like, you know, like playing games on your cell phone, like Tetris and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, I left uh, that position at Verizon to go and uh, be part of a little small game startup. We made games on Java and brew handsets. So this is prior to the iPhone uh, and prior to Android. And um, our game was, our biggest game was who wants to be a millionaire. So we licensed the, the brand from ABC um, and uh, we took that to mobile. Uh, it was a raging success. It was a casual game. Casual games were important then. And, uh, and we were acquired very quickly after we built this thing uh, by uh, Capcom. So the Japanese video game company, Capcom, which makes Street Fighter, Resident Evil, Mega Man. Um, you know, you may fr- be familiar with can some we, of those can games. Can
0: just go through kind of what was, cause that was a big step at that time where you were making a really good salary with a big company. And then you kind of gave all that up to take what some people would have said was a huge risk. With huge. This, with this game that no, not many people really understood it at that point, And it was very mm-hmm. new. So that dynamic shift was massive in context, right? Where uh, you've got the security and now you're leaving to kind of take a chance. And obviously that worked out, so that was great. But in hindsight, when you look back at it, uh, what was going through your mind at that point and, and what things made you go and do that rather than live the secure corporate life that you'd built up a good track record, you had a fantastic reputation, and to kind of risk it all there's a lot going on there.
1: there there was and and i would say a lot of people question it the, the funny thing is is that yeah most people you know you die to get into one of those jobs like i had at the carrier which was you know stable secure great benefits um you know if if you don't do anything wrong you probably have a job for life and by the way many of the people that i worked with actually still work at the carrier now we're like 20 you know 25 years later kind of thing right like so um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it, it really comes up to, you know, what's important for you and your life and your family and what do you want to do and, and all that sort of thing. For me, I was, I was craving that walk on the tightrope a little bit, um, you know, without the net. And, um, I thought it was an opportunity for me to go out and learn skills that I didn't, didn't have, or didn't know that I had. And I wanted to understand if I had them. Um, and, and you, you asked about mentors earlier. Like, so my, one of my mentors is my uncle. And uh, who was a very successful entrepreneur uh, in a completely different industry. Um, but I sat down with him when, when I was presented with the opportunity and I was like, Hey, listen, I was, I think I could go do this. And, you know, here's what it will mean to me financially, you know, kind of, if, if we have a big win and if we don't, here's what it means. And, and here's the risk and the stability. And, and his point to me was kind of like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I was like, well, I don't know. I guess I go there. We take a couple swings and we strike out and, And I got to look for a job. And he's like, okay, so if, if, like, are you going to be more employable after having had this experience? And obviously the answer was yes. Like, and by the way, it will also show that I'm willing to take calculated risks and, you know, I'm willing to bet on myself and I believe in myself. And by the way, if we fail, we'll probably learn a ton that we won't make those mistakes again. So for me, when 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 I sat down with him and then kind of weighed out all the pros and cons, Like the pro list was extensive. The con list was very short and the decision kind of made itself. And as you said, like, you know, it panned out. Not all of them do, but this one did. And, um, you know, uh, no regrets.
0: And I think that's really great actionable advice. Sit down, reflect, write a list, get some mentor to kind of help you think through things differently to the way that you probably normally would. And then review the list, take a look at it. Take your time and then see what works out better. I think, I know we, we kind of went over it quickly there, but yeah. I think that's a huge piece of advice that a lot of people are stuck at this moment in time, kind of comfortable where they are or even not comfortable if they've lost their jobs through COVID or what have you. And it, this is how to kind of take some actionable steps to, in the right direction, hopefully.
1: So- I think you'd be surprised that um, if you bet on yourself you like, you know, like you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that you're successful. Right. And so you'll stretch yourself. You'll learn that you probably had a lot of skills that you weren't sure that you had. Um, And that was the case. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, I was not going to let this fail. It's
0: so true what you're saying, because I went through it all myself when I started my business Yep. and it was, oh, I'm just this finance guy. Give me the numbers. But now I've got to lead a marketing team, a sales team and kind of bring in business and lead gen and all these other things that I've never done before. It's like, am I good at this? Am I bad? And I just got to figure it out. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, but you got to get through it either way. So you're learning different skills and you're learning more about yourself every day, really. Exactly. So fantastic. So you had a great exit. So let's move Mm -hmm. on from the fact that Capcom Mm -hmm. came in, they bought you, and then you went into more of an advisory role.
1: Well, I actually, so I, I ran uh, their mobile business for four years. I was the EVP of publishing um, on the mobile side. Uh, it was a great opportunity. Um, as you know, probably like in most cases, when companies are acquired, the leadership team stays on and helps land the plane. And the, you usually kind of move on to the next thing. And, yeah, um, of- and I was fortunate. I was working with some amazing people, yet another mentor. I got you know really lucky with Midori Uasa, who was the, uh, the, the, the leader of, of mobile at Capcom. And uh, loved working with her. Woke up every day and kicked my heels and was fortunate to go into work. And uh, we were solving fun problems. We were, you know, the iPhone had just come out. So we were now launching new games on the iPhone. And, uh, and you know, basically at the end of my tenure at Capcom, we were just trying to solve this new problem uh, that obviously doesn't sound so new now, um, but uh, micropayments on mobile games, right? And so, you know, it was hard to get people to pay 9.99 99 or even 5.99 to download Street Fighter, which is what the early days of the iPhone was. There was this, you know, emergence of free apps and, and free games. Uh, and uh, the way to monetize was to do microtransactions. Um, and so the last game that we launched right as I left Capcom uh, was this game called Smurfs Village, which was uh, basically Farmville with Smurfs. Uh, had fun, you know, stayed there four years, loved it, but... Uh, you know, I was craving that next uh, that next change, and so I ended up uh, leaving to go to uh, a mobile ads startup called Millennial Media.
0: Got it. Perfect. So, yeah, and that's, that's a good tenure as well. You know, you did four years. That's probably more than most people after they've been acquired by a company. I'm, I normally see a year to two years, and then people tend to move on. So four, it does really show that you did like that, and then you moved on. And then, how was it? Then moving on and, and taking a new challenge. Uh, you're still based in Maryland, right, at that point?
1: Yeah. So, state I've been in Maryland basically the whole time. I moved down here to work at Verizon Wireless, um, and so I just never went home. Uh, so now this is home. Um, yeah. You know, when, when when I was when we were at the end of my tenure at Capcom, as I said, you know, the, there were a lot of challenges with the business model and getting folks to pay for things. And and one of the things that was emerging at the time was this. Um, Mobile advertising market. Um, the fact that uh, games uh, would put ads in their games to make money, and so they give them away for free, and you'd make money on the eyeballs. Um, one of the most early successes in this market was a game called Words with Friends, uh, which you've probably played, and many people have played this game. It's like yeah. Scrabble on your cell phone, and um, and so Millennial Media was one of the early emerging uh, startups that uh, had raised some money and was kind of uh, making a run for it to help app developers make money. And so uh, I joined Millennial Media, uh, you know, just uh, to be honest with you, as an individual contributor, I was excited to join and I was leading a team at Capcom and I was excited to kind of dig in as an IC uh, and uh, and really be one of the early guys to come in and start to build out that business. Uh, I think I, at the time I was employee number 75 um, and, uh, and we grew that thing. Uh, to be, I think, 600 people. We did a couple acquisitions. Uh, we took the company public on the New York Stock Exchange, um, and so it was a, a really wild ride. And um, so, you know, kind of that crescendo of like taking the company public and then being a publicly traded company, and and you know how hard that is. And Very every different every 90 days, you got to you know get on that treadmill and 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 run it out. And um, and so. After a few years, we ended up, uh, you know, then selling that company, ironically, back to, to Verizon. Uh, so I ended up back at Verizon. Full circle, right? Now, full circle. Um, yeah, Verizon had just acquired AOL. And, and, uh, and, and AOL was kind of that, you know, that entity that was the centerpiece for all the digital media assets that Verizon had planned to acquire. So Verizon acquired Millennial Media. Um, and then we acquired Yahoo. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it's been a, it was a pretty awesome journey over eight years at millennial media for about five of those and AOL for about two of those. And then, you know, adding in the Yahoo asset, uh, I was there, uh, you know, to kind of bring those pieces together. And I stayed a year after the Yahoo acquisition.
0: Yeah. Matt, one of the things that I'm I'm hearing a lot here is that one, you, you seem to have this curiosity to always be at the front of the latest trend of technology and kind of position yourself. And I don't know where that comes from, but I really like it. And I have the same thing, but from a finance world in terms of how can you keep innovating and improving? And where's the next eyeballs going? Or where's the next deal going? Where does that kind of curiosity come from?
1: uh, Listen, if you look at the kind of the, the, my career in those phases, they all kind of, are interconnected, but solving a different problem. So, like, obviously, my love for digital media and and you know digital content and all that sort of stuff is what I was doing at, at Bell and and at uh, at Verizon. Um, but then I decided to go on to the other side of the table, right? So at Verizon, I was the buyer. If you built games and you wanted to sell them to Verizon customers, I was the guy that managed the games channel. Um, but then I was like, well, listen, I see all these guys doing this and making a ton of money. I'd like to go and, you know, build a game and hopefully sell that back in. And so that's what I did. And then, you know, went through that journey and then kind of went from games at Capcom to like ads in games and other apps. And then, you know, this leads you to my journey where I am now, which is um, we're a cybersecurity company. Um, but the reality is, is, you know, we're protecting digital media properties. And so, you um, prior to here, I was doing ads in apps and ads on websites. And, you know, the first part of my tenure here at clean has been solving the bad ads problem because there's a lot of malicious ads and nefarious ads and things that are stealing PII or creating bad user experiences. And so that's the company that we've kind of set out to, uh, to build here. And so you just see that stitch of them all being interconnected and maybe it's a curiosity. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I like, I, I, I do believe that you got to find something that you really love to wake up and, and, and kick your heels in the morning. And so finding that challenge and always being challenged, I think is very important to me, but also finding that people like that group of folks that you love doing things with uh, you know, it's those, those are kind of the two things I never, of- I've never made a money decision just in my career. And I've been fortunate to make money. Um, but it's always been around finding that one thing that you love doing and, and the people that you love doing it with. I, I think, think the money of the solves it. One
0: things you said really resonates with me. It was like, what problem are you solving? And you keep solving different problems in slightly different verticals, but they're all connected. So yep. I think that that's, that's a really good actionable item is that if someone's out there listening and they're kind of stuck in which way to go or what to do, it's what problem do you have the skill set? to really solve and enjoy doing it at the same time, right? Because there's no point doing something if you're going to spend 10, 15 hours a day doing it and hate yourself for doing that. It's like, you've got to find a good balance of both.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, life is too short as we all know. Uh, and so, yeah, you got to you find that something that you have passion for that you wake up and you're like, oh, I can't wait to go do that. Um, I think to be honest with you, it's time for that, like a career change when you're not waking up and you're dreading going into the office or dreading in these times of COVID walking downstairs and getting behind your desk to do your job.
0: Yeah, it's uh, totally true. So in terms of now clean.io and the cybersecurity, where Mm -hmm. do you see the future of that going with kind of VR, AR and all these other things coming out? Um, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on the next maybe five to 10 years.
1: So it's super cool what we're doing. we started uh, focusing on this uh, digital media ecosystem that makes money through ads, all right? And um, the problem that we went out to solve was uh, these ads ecosystems are open. Anybody can come in and buy an ad and and put it on a website and and have an engagement with the user. Um, Bad actors have figured out this as a a really interesting way to Trojan horse their way into your experiences, into your devices. And, uh, and and have an engagement themselves. And they figured out how to buy those ads and have them do shady things and take over your phone experience. You you probably have had it happen to you where you go to a website, you're scrolling, and then all of a sudden it redirects you and says, hey, congratulations, Casey, you won an Amazon gift card. And you're like, I didn't click anything. I don't know what happened. Or your phone's infected with 49 viruses. Click here and it launches you into the app store somewhere. Um, that's called malvertising. So we went out and we really like focused on solving that problem, which is manifests itself as malicious JavaScript that executes once that ad renders on the device. Um, We started kind of taking a a broader look at where JavaScript is executing, where malicious or not, it just doesn't really have the authorization to execute. One of the areas where we saw that happening was in the e-commerce world, specifically in the web. You know, you can do a Chrome extension on on a PC and it can wake up and take over the user experience, a whole bunch of things that bad actors can do. Um, But sometimes good actors actually use that technology and and kind of infiltrate where they shouldn't. Um, And so we started doing some R&D on the e-commerce ecosystem to look at what are some of these things that are happening that are impacting user experiences and revenue. And um, we kind of ended up focusing on uh, these things called uh, discount browser extensions, uh, things like Honey and Wikibuy. Um, there's a whole bunch of them. Those are the two probably biggest ones that that you may have heard of. And what these things do is users have put them on their PC. And when you're shopping in e-commerce, all of a sudden, uh, when you get to checkout, they'll pop up and say, Hey, uh, we got coupons for you. Would you like us to inject them and see if we can save you a pile of money and users obviously always want a discount. And so, um, so yeah, but you know, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, these e-commerce merchants, just like these publishers in the ads ecosystem, you own your website. You would think that because you own your website, you can control everything that happens on your website. And lo and behold, in the ads ecosystem, you know, some of the biggest publishers in the world who have hundreds of millions of, of users, like, they were they, they like they could not control their their experience so these ads would come in and destroy the experience same thing in e-commerce you you own your web you own your store you own your your website like honey is coming in and injecting code and it's impacting your revenue and your user experience and all that sort of stuff so um so the next iteration of our of our products is really like f- still focusing around protecting the internet from malicious or untrusted javascript and in this case it's uh you know making sure that e-commerce merchants' margins don't get destroyed by things like Honey and Wikibuy.
0: That's awesome. It's, it's, way, it's way up there on my understanding and comprehension, but you did a really good job for the, to help me understand what that really means. So that's awesome. Uh, Matt, we'd like to end with one question. Uh, and that is, if you had to attribute your success between three factors, those three factors being drive, skill, and luck, how would you apportion it between those three?
1: Uh, okay, so drive, skill, and luck. Um, I am going to say that I think luck is probably, probably fifty percent of it, um, and because I think there's there's a, like a part about being in that right place in that right time, and you know I think you got to be lucky a little bit, right? I mean, um, but I think uh, for me, drive, like I, yeah, like drive is probably forty percent of it, and skills ten. That'd be my guess. I think you can improve your there's skills. No, there's no right or
0: wrong answer here. So. Yeah. If you don't
1: have the drive, like, yeah, like, I mean, working at a startup is super hard and you're going to work, you know, countless hours every day. Um, I don't know. I don't think you can teach drive, but I think you can teach skills. Like, I don't think you can teach that, you know, ambition and that sort of stuff. Like you, you have to have it. And so that would be my guess.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And then what is the best way for anyone who'd like to contact you or clean uh, to get in touch?
1: Yeah, if people want to get in touch, you can find us at clean.io. That's our website. Um, If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, That's where I am. uh, And that's where, uh, you know, most people can contact me. But if you want to send me an email, Matt at clean.io.
0: Fantastic. And we'll put the links below so that if anyone does want to reach out to clean or to you, they can find you quite easily. So Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. You've been fantastic.
1: Thanks, Casey. It was a pleasure. Cheers.